0: The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. When the whole world seems turned upside down, we sort through it together. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT.
1: Well, welcome back to the second hour of the very first Weekends for 2024. And what an hour to join in to tune in for one of the journalistic warriors, and that's James Roguski. And he'd probably laugh and say that he's not that well. Well, James Roguski has been fighting against the World Health Organization for years. And it's wonderful that there is someone who could put in the hard yards continuously against an organization that masquerades that it is the saviour of all of our bodily autonomy, no matter what decisions they make, qualified or unqualified, we just got to believe them. And so it is that the Director General of the WHO, Tedros Ghebreyesus, is not even a medical doctor. And their number one private funder, citizen, Bill Gates, he never even went to college, let alone be elected to public office. But it seems that whatever Bill Gates says, we just have to do, and that's because he's got more money than us, or something like that. It seems at least that's how the WHO works, because... When Bill Gates walks through that building, he is treated better than King Charles would be. So is this a game just about money and power and preventative medicine that doesn't really prevent and putting things into your body because you are subservient to someone else? Well, that's all the setup for the WHO and the globalists. And in a moment, I'm going to bring James in. But if you don't know who James Roguski is, he's a researcher, author, activist, and he's been calling out these lies, as I said, and propaganda for decades. In March of 2022, he uncovered documents regarding proposed amendments to the World Health Organization's international health regulations, and helped raise so much awareness about their potential harm that the amendments were partially, or in fact, rejected. James works to expose the WHO's hidden agenda behind their proposed pandemic treaty, and his vision for the future is out of the who and in with the new. And what I recommend you do, this is the first and most important website address I'm going to give you. And that is jamesrogusky.substack.com for a free resource that you will want to know because when your loved ones come knocking you will have the answers right there james Reguski, welcome back to tnt and a happy 2024 to
2: you well you know thank you very much for all the love and um you know a little bit of appreciation goes a long way it's going to make me want to work all that harder in 2024 um you know i think i come bearing good news because (laughs) Things are not going all that well for the WHO. And I'm going to go a little bit off script, not that we have it (laughs) scripted, um, but the news report about the BRICS nations expanding, um, I have been saying for quite some time that I will not be the least bit surprised if I'm watching TNT, you know, radio live at some point, and I hear that they've um, announced the creation of the B-H-O. Um, I think it's right around the corner. Now, I have no evidence of that. This is just me, um, you know, going off onto Speculation Island. But when you realize how poorly the WHO is treating its member nations in these negotiations that have been going on for a couple of years, um, if, if I was one of the delegates for many of these nations who were proposing text to be put into the negotiating documents and having it rejected by the bureaucracy while hearing the bureaucracy say that this is all a member nation-led negotiation. Um, I'm a I'm a pretty calm, cool, and collected, easygoing guy, but I would have walked out a long time ago because what they're doing um, is, is not what they pretend to be doing.
1: This is the big part, and this is what we've... <sighs> watched on all throughout this COVID era is that we're told one thing and the reality is something completely different. And that narrative has to come from above. And do you think, James, that the WHO is front and centre and the apex of everything that we've seen here? Are they the ones really pulling the strings in all of this?
2: Well, you know, I actually think that they are getting torn apart limb from limb because they started the process that they're trying to control and whoever it may be that controls them is trying to control it. But what you're witnessing with that news story about the BRICS nations, you know, the power has shifted over the last number of decades. And what we're dealing with in these negotiations with the WHO, I think is a reflection of the shift in power in the entire world. And so if, if I may, I'd like to just give a background as to what is being negotiated um, yes. in the WHO and it's as you said earlier it's not what has been said and it's not what the vast majority of people think you got to go all the way back to 2020 and I'm not going to get into you know what covid was or wasn't you know that's a whole another many many discussions but at the end of 2020 the vast majority of people were f- had fallen for the story that oh if we can just get enough of these jabs into, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven jabs into everybody in the world, everything's gonna be wonderful. Well, what happened in 2021 upset the relatively poor nations because nations like Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, the European Union, Australia, New Zealand, they got contracts for large numbers of these injectable, I think, bioweapons. And the poorer nations, who at the time believed that you know those were life-saving um, medications um, called for a second meeting, a second assembly in 2021, and the upshot of that meeting was that they wanted to negotiate an international agreement to ensure, in as close as I can get to their words, equitable access to pandemic-related products. Now. What we're dealing with with these negotiations, it's got nothing to do with health, because if it was about health, they would be investigating what they did wrong. They would be investigating, Mm -hmm. you know, why did the jabs not work and why are people getting sick from all kinds of, no, 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 no. The World Health Organization and the International Health Regulations and these negotiations are not about health. That's where the propaganda starts. It's really a trade dispute. The poor nations were unhappy that the wealthy nations hoarded all of those wonderful mRNA jams, and they want to have an international agreement to have investment come from the wealthier nations into the relatively poor nations, and build out laboratory networks to do genomic sequencing so they can go searching all through their nations to find pathogens with pandemic potential, which is actually, strangely enough, seen in many circles as a commodity. If you have that information, that would be part of what they want to set up, which is a pathogen access and benefit sharing system. If you look at what they're doing, not as a health system, but as a pandemic profiteering mechanism, if they find a scary new pathogen and they sequence the genome and hand it over to the WHO and the various pharmaceutical companies they want benefits in return they want intellectual property they want investment in manufacturing plants so that they can make their own biological weapons and profit from that resource that they may you know find um, some pathogen in their nation and so if you wanted to stop the next pandemic, you would have a whole bunch of doctors talking about the best way to share information about how to treat people when they've got some new and, you know, um, confusing ailment. If you wanted to make the pandemic more likely to happen, um, you'd go out and seek more pathogens, bring them into your laboratory, try to do gain to function on them, and and you know, make jabs that don't work. And, and so, you know, what's going on here is predicated on an absolutely insane assumption. The nations are arguing over who's going to get the money to make more jabs that harm people. Yes. And, and that's not, that's not what they're discussing. What they're arguing about is intellectual property and financial investments, and you know who's going to get which piece of the pie. And so they're having a difficult time. And the good news with, at the very least, um, the proposed amendments to the international health regulations is back in October, they had a meeting and the co-chair of the working group for these amendments said very clearly That they are not going to meet their deadline. Now, their deadline is about three weeks from today. It's January 27th, 2024. If they fail to submit a package of amendments in alignment with Article 55, which says they have to submit it four months before their May assembly, the May assembly starts on May 27th. So, January 27th is four months in advance of that. They don't get to make any changes this year. And, and that's quite frankly, wonderful news. And, you know, thank you for having me on to be able to, you know, share this with you and and your viewers. Um, But even the alternative media is asleep at the wheel with this. And so I encourage everybody take this information and spread it as far and wide as you can. It's actually wonderful news. They're on the cusp of failing. And I think what they've done with this whole dynamic is create a rift in the who i would not be surprised at all to see the creation of a bho somewhere in the future and if the brics nations offer the other nations a better deal um you know what is it exactly that the who offers anybody do you want more jabs Mm -hmm. um are, are they really helping uh nations with their health problems you know in in um, developed nations you know heart disease and cancer and diabetes and uh, all kinds of you know long-term problems in some developing nations you know malaria and tuberculosis um, they want to spend 10 times as much money as their annual budget on pandemic prevention which actually if you look at it it's just glorified gain of function research
1: Yeah, indeed, and it's uh, interesting that you bring that up because at the same time, uh, you're hearing Ted Ross talk about climate change as a health emergency, and I wonder if that is part of the process, that they can allow them the idea that oh, if we call climate change you know you people might die from heat or rain or cold whatever the climate change is that that's an excuse therefore to maybe call climate change a pandemic of temperature or something as equally as ridiculous and and i uh, it, it just when you explain it the way that you do james you realize just how silly and how fragile really this network is the fact that they can sit there and argue about Money and who gets access to vaccines, and of course, profits in all of it Bill Gates, 22,000% mm-hmm. markups, et cetera. The one thing you mentioned there was the idea of the search for pathogens. And what bothers me from the outset is that we still don't have consensus on the origins of COVID. We have the FBI saying that it was man-made. We have other organizations saying that it wasn't. And it's very, very clear from those um, eight separate non-random mutations, et cetera, and these cleavage sites, et cetera, that we know that this thing had to have been manipulated. What bugs me from that point is that the consensus from there is that it accidentally got out. Why do we even bother using the term accidental? Who man makes makes something and then accidentally lets it out? I mean, it's such a lame excuse. It's clear that it would have only made for a purpose, and the purpose was, et cetera. We go back to Agenda 201, and we've got um, almost a parallel of how things happen with vaccine hesitancy and uh, the fact that it was a coronavirus, rah, rah, rah. It just seems like we're watching a movie within a movie being played out and, of course, being taken for fools in all of it. I guess um, when we move forward from this point, therefore, what is the attitude as to why the WHO is absolutely disinterested in the origins of COVID? Is it as simple as I've, uh, I've said? How can they even be taken seriously at this point if they don't want to go back and audit the past before they go out there and have all these grand ideas for the future?
2: Oh, yeah, that's a spectacular question. Um, in Canada, uh, the people of Canada um, for many months over the past year um, brought um, people in to testify with their National Citizens Inquiry. And, you know, even if you were in a business and you went to um, a trade show, You know, you would come back on Monday or Tuesday and you would have an after event review. You know, hey, did we make a lot of sales? You know, how did it go? Did we make a lot of good contacts? You know, you would review your um, performance, even in something as small as that. Yes. Well, you know, that's not going to happen with the WHO. It certainly needs to. It certainly should. But I would actually like to go a lot further than that because... Um, While I do not accept their authority at all from the get-go, if you play along with their charade and you look at their WHO constitution, Article 21 reports to give them authority to craft standards and regulations. Now, I want to be clear, it's not the WHO, it's the World Health Assembly. And people really should distinguish between the delegates from all of the nations who get together once a year and are supposed to be in charge of what goes on at the WHO and the bureaucracy of the WHO that spends billions of dollars and you know they work 24 7 uh, to confuse people quite frankly but in article 21 the world health assembly has the authority to do a number of things and i'll try to run through them very quickly They have the authority to set regulations and standards for terminology, but in 76 years, they've never crafted a legal definition for the word pandemic or vaccine or God help us, safe and effective. (laughs) Those words have no meaning. They also have the right to set standards for um, cause of death, Well, if you look back over the past four years, well, did people die from something or with something or, you know, what was really going on there? There are no standards. If you look to the other things that they can set standards for, one of them is diagnostic tests. If you've looked into the PCR, you realize it's an important process, but it's not a diagnostic test. Mm -hmm. They also have the authority to set standards for purity in pharmaceutical and biological products. If you've been paying any attention to all of the garbage that has been found in the injectables, you realize that they've failed miserably there. And last but not least, they have the authority to set standards on advertising and labeling. Well, all of the nation spent billions of dollars claiming that something was a vaccine, even though it didn't stop infection or transmission. And many of the Products had blank inserts. So how could anybody possibly make an informed decision? And so my take on it is the four years were made, past four years were made far worse because of 76 years of failure on behalf of the World Health Assembly to set some standards. If the things that I just mentioned um, were not allowed to happen, um, you know so much of the fraud and, and pain and suffering that happened over the last four years would not have been possible. You cannot forgive 76 years of failure. You know, they're going to fail again this year for the 77th time. And, you know, I'm an advocate of all nations on the planet leaving the WHO. I'm pretty sure mankind was around for many thousands of years without the World Health Organization. And I think we'll do just fine when they go away.
1: Could not agree with you more. What we're going to do is take a quick break here on TNT and we'll be back with more with James Roguski after the break. You are watching and listening to Weekends with Jason Olborn on. TNT today's.
0: You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about.
1: I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well,
2: that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess
0: their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that, because someone said to me recently, and it made me laugh, that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I-, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security, in that everything, when we go to the city, kind of appears normal, unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal.
1: <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's
0: completely gone off-kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
3: God's truth is enduringly true
2: throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the
4: evil one.
3: China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called.
1: The entire state of California ordered to stay at home, that's 40.
3: California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine.
4: Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci.
0: A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's
1: News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Weekends, and we are hoax-free. In fact, we're the other side of the hoax. We are dismantling it minute by minute, interview by interview and what a time to be alive it is and what a time to join me here today because we're with James Roguski and James going back to the WHO 77 years of nonsense BS whatever you want to call it if we go back to 2022 can we recap what happened there in terms of the international health regulations and the world health assembly
2: well you know if you start with what I mentioned earlier about how the nations were uh, at the end of 2021 upset about you know a trade dispute and inequitable distribution of what they believed were life-saving injections yeah you know, that happened on december 1st is when they set in motion these negotiations uh, about a month and a half later on january 18th the biden administration put forth a package of amendments to the international health regulations that didn't address any of the concerns that were voiced a month and a half prior. And so right out of the gate, all of the nations looked at the United States and essentially said, what do you think you're doing? Did you not hear what we said? And so those proposed amendments never saw the light of day in the May assembly. Now, one of the things that Biden was trying to change in those, that initial package was there's an 18 month period where if amendments are adopted, the head of state of every nation has 18 months to just write a letter and reject them for their nation. And then six months after that, for a total of 24 months, it would then go into legally binding effect. You would have to pass legislation or allocate money or whatever he wanted to shorten that down to six months for both time periods. Well, if you think about it, you know, most people don't even wanna read, you know, 200 pages of amendments in in six months. It's sleep inducing. Mm -hmm. And that's just not enough time to have an honest discussion. But the reason for it was, if such a decision was made at the end of May, six months forward from that, would still be within the biden's administration new president doesn't come in until january of 2025 Mm. so they were trying to shorten the time period so that they could ram this next pile of amendments through well that got kicked to the curb but the us and the uk and the european union and a handful of other nations submitted another package of amendments on may 24th right in the middle of the assembly well that's a clear violation of you got to submit things four months in advance if you want to have them considered. A couple of days went by, a lot of backroom negotiations. And then on May 28th, they published a document that has got their lawyers, you know, legal counsel's name on it saying it's an authentic document. And it said that it was adopted during the eighth session of the World Health Assembly But there's a little bit of a problem. Um, All of their sessions are recorded. You can watch the eighth session on their website. And they never bothered to vote. Now, they said they adopted it, but they never actually bothered to vote. Wow. Now, it's hard to find something that isn't there. So there is no evidence of a vote. And it's one of these things you can look all over the world. Well, here's what happened on November 28th. A dozen members of the European Parliament learned about this and wrote a letter to the WHO, to the Director General, to Tedros, and they said, um, you know, we're looking for evidence that these amendments were properly adopted with the vote, but we can't find any evidence. Would you please send it to us? And they, to my knowledge, have not gotten any response um, since then. Um, I know a number of... um, Uh, media outlets who've, you know, requested information from them, you know, silence because there's no information to be gotten. And so in the letter that the members of parliament wrote to Tedros, they said, you know, absent any evidence that you actually voted on these amendments, they're null and void. And and so, you know, I've reported on this um, for quite some time now. And it's astonishing how you know, this really should be a scandal. I mean, the WHO just blatantly committing voting fraud, saying that amendments were adopted and there's no record that a vote was ever actually properly held. And and so um, do I trust them as far as I could throw them? Of course not. Okay. And so... Um, in October, shifting gears just a little bit, with this mm. current package of amendments that they have to submit by January twenty seventh to meet their deadline, they—I have an hour long video of the working group members conspiring to violate Article fifty five of the International Health Regulations. And yes, I did use the word conspire or conspiracy, um, but I have the evidence. Mm. They have—they have said that oh well that rule doesn't apply to them they can just keep negotiating right up to the last minute and they don't have to give four months notice for the whole world to see what is going to be considered and i don't know if you know you're aware but many years ago nancy pelosi very famously talking about a large piece of legislation that was rolled in at the last minute and, you know, people were asked to vote without having a chance to read it. She said, Oh, don't worry, just vote for it. You can read it after we pass it. Well, you can get away with that in Congress because they don't actually have a rule that says there has to be a period of time for everyone to truly consider something. There needs to be a rule like that, but there isn't, but there is such a rule It's Article 55 in the International Health Regulations. And we, the people, need to hold the World Health Assembly and the WHO to account, to follow their own darn rules. And so, you know, they, if they were honorable people back in October, they would have said, because they announced that they're not going to meet their deadline, they could have and they should have said, sorry, um, you know, you asked us to get hundreds of you know changes in uh, hundreds of countries to agree on something in a relatively short period of time sorry we didn't make it we'll keep working on it we'll see you next year Mm. well you know i'll be right here waiting for them in 2025 but if they don't submit a proposal that we can all see by january 27th then they do not get to make any changes at their may assembly now i want to make everybody clear that I'm not talking about what everybody calls the pandemic treaty. Mm -hmm. That's a a totally separate document, totally separate set of negotiations, totally different rules and timeframe. That does not have the four month advanced notice. And at the moment with that particular document, the nations involved are so unhappy with the intergovernmental negotiating body because they've been blocking and ignoring the text that the nations want to have in the negotiating document that they've told them to go back to the drawing board and do a rewrite, which I hope it doesn't confuse people, but they're likely to present that new version of the agreement at the end of January, beginning of February. That's not the same as the proposal that they have to do for the amendments. But at this point in time, um, the treaty or agreement is in a complete state of flux, you know, come back in a month and maybe we'll have something to talk about.
1: It's uh, quite incredible, isn't it? To think that uh, you, you you have a plan to take over the world one way or another, mm-hmm. and you can't even get these simple rules down pat. You hide uh, an election or a vote uh, and Ted Ross doesn't even bother to respond in all of it there's so many directions that i want to go here james uh in, in, in just looking at it and i want to just circle back briefly to joe biden and this 18 months right. to cut back to six months is right. there any possible argument at this point to defend that position that he is not part of some globalist plan here to hand over american health sovereignty what possible reasoning could he have to do this
2: Um, you know, the, the issue here is really that these negotiations are not really about health. Okay. Mm. If, if you always take that step back and realize that this is a business deal, Mm. okay, they want to transfer, transfer, you know, venture capital and, and billions of dollars to build out the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex. If if you were to read the international health regulations, you would realize they're not about health. If you just read the titles in the chapter in the uh, table of contents, um, you, you would call it the international surveillance, uh, monitoring, reporting, emergency declaring, you know, fear mongering regulations, because they're not really anything that a doctor or anyone in the health field would look at and say, oh yes, this is going to help make people healthy. It's all about identifying that there's some pathogen out there so that they can then scare people by creating an emergency, which triggers the cascade where, oh, if Tedros says there's an emergency, then the health minister in every nation gets to piggyback on that declaration and say, oh, There's a health emergency in the united states and canada and australia and um, a a friend libby klein published an article i I thought it was so good i reposted it um, about a week ago where back i think it was in 2015 a law was passed in australia that gave outlandish powers to the health minister and essentially the problem in our world is that health ministers when they declare an emergency whether there truly is one or not all of the money starts flowing and the you know people lose sight of the fact that you know inalienable rights are not derogable because there's an emergency that's not what inalienable means but we have laws that override that and that's what libby um reported on i encourage people to read her article on substack um if you give dictatorial powers to a health minister, don't be surprised if somebody comes along and wants to abuse them. If you go all the way back to Roman times, the definition of the word dictator was someone who was put in charge when there was an emergency. They would dictate orders to tell people what to do. But you know, for all historical reasons, it seems like after the emergency was gone, those powers were pulled back. Well, they've figured out that if they keep the emergency going, they can keep that power. And that's where we, the people have to wake up. Um, They don't have truly lawful authority to infringe upon our rights. And I'm working very hard with a lot of people on a, a whole different project, you know, to look at the law everywhere and see that it's not that there are loopholes in the law, there are gaping holes in the law that not only fail to punish people who commit things that should be crimes, but the law has a big hole in it, um, it actually protects those people who commit crimes. You know How in the world is it that government officials can sign contracts absolving companies from the harm their products cause? Who, who in the world thinks that is a good idea other than the people who profit from, you know, that lack of liability for the harm that they cause?
1: It is the most um, shocking, isn't it, when you think that uh, we're going to give you indemnity and not just for COVID mRNA mm-hmm. but uh, all jabs in the past. I mean, there's the um, uh, the organisation, uh, it, it's an American organisation, just a case fund. It's not FISA, but it's the... the uh, Anyway, I'll, I'll work it out after the break. But um, it's an organisation that lists all of the payouts that have been made for vaccine injury over time. Uh, and, and I remember researching it and there was some $5.5 billion in payouts at that point. And uh, I, I found it fascinating. This is pre-MRNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and just looking at um, the, the, the payouts, I thought that perhaps MMR would have been the one with the most payouts, but it was actually flu vaccines. Um, and so, to get to the stage where the government were to pay you out against these indemnities that are out there, to, first of all, you've got to find a um, you've got to find a, a doctor that believes you. Um, a panel of doctors who believe you, a legal team that believes you, and then you've got to get into this particular court system who then rules, and the average payout was was something around six hundred thousand US dollars per payout, which means there was something like seven thousand claims, which doesn't seem like a lot. But when you realize how far you have to go and how many ducks in a row you've got to line up to get there, it does show you that what people believe that these things are safe and effective and across the board they all are, it's anything but. And of course, this is part of this protection racket that seems to go on here. I I wonder about it in terms of health, if health officials just simply are all totalitarian uh, in in their approaches, just by the way that we we look at everything. There's no more individual rights, informed consent went out the window. It's just mass, mass, mass. And that's how they get around it. I I find it really hard to understand how it's possible that there are no checks and balances in a system that allows for a private organisation like the WHO to just get away with uh, breaking their own rules that affect uh, the sovereign um, nations around the world the people within it's just an astonishing leap uh, and access to invisible trust systems for want of a better term that uh, they continually get away with it james
2: well you know um to dive right into what people can do about that okay yeah. um in the united states Um, Our members of Congress have put forth legislation to exit the WHO. If people in the United States go to StopTheGlobalAgenda.com, you can help support that legislation. Uh, In Canada, there's a petition for the same thing. It's already gotten 60-some thousand signatures people in Canada can go to CanadianPetition.com. and in Australia, I've been working with some wonderful folks in Australia for quite some time. You can go to Australia exits, the And so there are people around the world. There's many other nations as well. Um, where, uh, if you go to exit you'll see that there are dozens of groups uh, in countries around the world who are waking up to it. You know, I'll, I'll make it really simple. Um, What has the WHO done for you? I was going to say lately, but I'll say ever. Okay. What is the benefit? If you look at their financials from 2022, they published it back in April. They spent approximately $3.8 billion. They want $31 billion a year for pandemic preparedness and prevention. Now, you know, think about that heart disease and cancer and, you know, diabetes and, you know, things like malaria and, you know, everything else under the sun, relatively a pittance. Okay. Um, They spent 30% of their budget on salaries. They had 8,851 employees who earned an average of $120,000 a year. They spent uh, less than half that amount actually on health-related products. What are we doing other than feeding the bureaucratic beast? And what they want to do with these negotiations, especially the thing that they call the treaty, they want to set up a new bureaucracy, a conference of the parties. Bureaucrats from every nation would come together and meet every year and make decisions that basically you would sign a blank check by agreeing to when they propose it in in the world health assembly and then year after year after year they would meet at a conference of the parties and whatever they decide without any input from the people we would be obligated to adhere to now that is almost identical to what's going on with the framework convention for climate change and look how wonderful that's working out okay they meet every year they recently about a month ago they had their conference of the parties number 28 they make decisions, and because our nation signed on to that framework convention in 1992, somehow we're obligated to, to follow their insane direction. The last thing in the world we want to do is allow a framework convention for pandemic prevention. That would just be about the worst thing I think I could you know imagine them doing to try to prevent pandemics.
1: Absolutely. Now, what we're going to do is take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue the conversation here with James Roguski. Before we do, jamesraguski.substack.com, It is the resource that you want to get your hands on to understand the work that James continues to do and how you also may want to get involved. All the information is there on the website. Let's take that break. Now, you're watching and listening to Weekends with Jason Olborn, here When on I had my team heart team.
3: event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee and thought I'll top up with fuel, ordered a coffee. But while I was pumping fuel, I started to get chest pains. Then it got worse and worse and worse. So then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit and Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a Widowmaker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died (laughs) Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know, it could be you. We all know what it's like to feel alone. But it just takes one new connection Want to get out of here? To empower many. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take a superhero to bring forces together. We all have the power to reach out. Let's go! And help someone feel like they belong. Pretty cool, huh? We are stronger together.
0: This is Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, News Talk
1: TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. We're with James Roguski and that website. Once again, jamesroguski.substack.com. James, if we look at what's going on with the pandemic, uh, international health regulations, and this, uh, what you're talking about is the the equivalent of the climate change, the Conference of the Parties or the COP, uh, we just saw the COP28, I think it was, for climate change. Mm Where do we go next and what's coming up? And can you explain for for people who are just perhaps joining in what the significant development is that says that the WHO is not as performing as well as it might well have hoped at this stage to give us a little bit of confidence and hope that, uh, that this is not a foregone conclusion that the WHO is going to take over our lives.
2: Well, you know, number one, uh, the biggest concern that I have that a lot of people don't really talk about, um, I'll pull up a a little tiny prop here. This is actually a real life um, vaccine passport that my girlfriend had all the way back in the 70s. And so it has a little um, form on it that that is found in the international health regulations. Now, one of the things that they've been talking about in secret, now we know about it because more than a year ago, they made public the original submitted um, proposals from many, many nations. I put that all together on a site called rejectdigitalenslavement.com. Now, here's where you can kind of get a view as to how they operate. They wanna create a global digital health certification network, as if you truly could certify someone's health with a vaccine certificate, a testing certificate, a prophylaxis certificate, and a recovery certificate. None of those things are defined. None of the details have been given. They just want that paperwork to get into their system. They want it to be global and all be interoperable with some kind of a QR code that would access your medical records if you ever wanted to travel. And so if you really think about what that is, That's a certification of someone who's compliant. Mm. You, you get all these tests, you get all this paperwork, show us your papers, please, so Mm. that you can travel. Well, the problem is with the WHO, they may or may not get their wish to make that legally binding. They're supposedly negotiating this as we speak. But if you do a search for the global digital health certification network in the WHO, you see that they're busy building the system. And so the issue that people need to realize is that they want to make all of these things legally binding with uh, amendments to the regulations or a new treaty or agreement, but they're busy doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem is are your local politicians who play that game. If they don't get to make this digital system legally binding, they'll roll it out as a voluntary benefit for people to make it easier for you to travel. Don't fall for the trap. And so this is the problem. They have billions of dollars. They start projects to do what they want to do And the negotiations are really the icing on the cake. If they can take this, develop it, and hand it over to your government leaders, and they fall for it, and you allow them to do that on a voluntary basis, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away from them at some point going, oh, okay, well, now it's mandatory. You're all used to it. Um, This is the problem. You know, the put the frog in the pot of water and turn up the heat kind of thing. People are very, very complacent and the money behind these projects to build laboratories and build manufacturing plants and build software systems to track and trace everybody um, are all presented as wonderful advancements, you know, for your health. But then you look at the numbers and you ask yourself, are people getting healthier? Um, Are you getting better health care? are the solutions that they offer you know i i have a personal bias um i've never been to a medical doctor since i was 19 years old i'm wow. 63 you couldn't pay me to take a pharmaceutical drug or get an injection or even take an over-the-counter symptomatic relief pharmaceutical poison because those things don't make you healthier they just push off your symptoms, and actually make you more ill over time. Now, if you understand that system, you realize that the WHO and in the United States, the FDA and the CDC and all of the American Medical Association, they're all part of that game. And they're glorified salespeople for the pharmaceutical industry. And so what these negotiations are is a venture capital prospectus to get public money by the tens of billions of dollars you know whether it's your tax money or debt you know from your grandchildren to funnel into the pharmaceutical industry now in the united states you know many people around the world know that we are deeply deeply in debt you know 30 some trillion dollars well if you go back to the 1960s when they started Medicare and Medicaid, and you look at how much was collected in taxes for healthcare and how much was spent by the government on Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, and all that sort of stuff. If you subtract the money spent from the money brought in, I believe you're gonna get really close to our $30 trillion deficit. What the pharmaceutical industry has managed to do is to get public money to be redirected into their profit profitable businesses. And what we're looking at with these negotiations is the build out of a whole new industry. You know, It's pandemic profiteers. And I first got the clue, you asked me a similar question in the break, I first got the clue in November of 2022 when the Indonesian health minister was talking to the B20, all the business leaders in Bali. And he said, you know, the WHO and the United States and the World Bank have this new pandemic fund. They're allocating billions of dollars. Go invest. It's a great business opportunity. So what we're looking at here is the creation of yet another aspect of the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex that profits on the suffering of human beings. If anybody got a jab or knows somebody who got a jab or took you know, remdesivir or any other medications and you're now dealing or they're dealing with ongoing illness, do you see how their products, actually I've called their drugs and jabs customer acquisition tools. Mm -hmm. If you can convince people to swallow one poison, and then when they come back with the symptoms of the poison they've been swallowing or injecting, and you get to make money off of the damage that you caused, that is, you know, from a business monetary greed standpoint, that's a great business model. And what we're looking at with these negotiations has got nothing to do with trying to protect you from the next pandemic it has everything to do with putting more money into their pockets you know at the expense of your health and well-being and we just need to say no
1: we absolutely need to say no and it goes further doesn't it because it's one thing as you said to saying that you know one poison after another at what point is it beyond profit and and it becomes harm and i guess that's the big part of what's been going on for the past few years and why there's such urgency to stop this organisation in its tracks one way or another, so that one isn't compelled in any way to be dictated to. this organization and how we live our lives where do we go in the last couple of minutes that we've got james in terms of becoming more aware is it about more information or is it about now taking forms of action such as uh writing or creating letter writing campaigns to elected officials what would you suggest is the best uh, method now for people to just make a little bit more of a difference
2: well you know step number one is is actually relatively easy Um, nobody does anything if they are unaware. That there's a problem mm. and so take you know take this recording and share it with everybody you possibly can and i don't mean post it on your facebook account or tweet it i mean really go down your contact list from a to z in your phone in your email and and share this video with everybody you possibly can give them the opportunity to have access to information that you're not not going to see on the mainstream if they choose to ignore it That's their choice. But then they become ignorant. Ignorant doesn't mean you're stupid. Ignorant means you've been handed the information, but you choose to ignore it. Well, okay, if people want to do that, that's fine. But if you don't share it with them, then you're just as bad as any of the other sensors that stop the transmission of this information. So, you know, take this video, share the daylights out of it. If anybody has any questions, I always give my phone number. It's in the United States, so put the proper country code. But it's 310-619-3055. I use um, Telegram and Signal and WhatsApp, or you could text message me or call me. Um, obviously, people should have questions. And when somebody calls me up and asks a question, I, I realize that that means that that person is still able to think. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful thing to meet another person on the planet who is still doing their own thinking because that's what questions are. And and so feel free to call me anytime. I'm I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. Uh, I have to live on this planet too. And so I want to make it as as good as, you know, possible future as we can. I'm optimistic, but that doesn't mean you sit on your butt and do nothing. You know, it means you work harder.
1: Yeah, that is uh, probably the best lesson that all of us can take for 2024. Whilst it seems that we are getting one way or another to some form of finish line, it certainly doesn't mean that you rest on your laurels in that finishing straight. If anything, we paddle faster, we work harder, Mm -hmm. we get sweatier and we keep going. And, uh, And that is probably the most important lesson for all of it. But it does mean that there is a finish line. This thing cannot go on forever if the people decide that they just don't want it. Because at the end of the day, absolute power may well be absolute absolute power but all it is is people ruling other people and if we don't like what we're being ruled by or how We simply get up and say no. There's a little bit more work in all of that. But James, it's wonderful to um, be able to speak to you on my first show back for 2024. And I'm certain that it won't be the last time that we speak because there is a lot of good news uh, one way or another that's coming. And it is all the result of good hard work and raising awareness, which is what you continue to do. The only person that I've ever met in media that gives away his phone number on an international news service (laughs) and will answer the phone when you call. Just a very, very special man. Thank you, James. Rogusky. in a moment we're going to go to news headlines and we'll be back with julian gillespie and dr christopher neil on the other side for the work that they are doing on the preparing for the COVID royal commission terms of reference you're watching and listening to weekends here on